Morning, everybody. Almost good enough. Morning, everybody. <laughs> I want to pray and ask God to do something very specific this morning, and I want to explain why I'm going to pray it. There are, I just feel like we're, I want to explain, I'm going to, I'm going to pray and ask the Holy Spirit. Kevin just prayed it. Chris has prayed it. It's been mentioned before. I'm going to say the same thing again. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to come and speak to each one of us. And here's the reason why I would pray that. Because it is impossible for a person to actually speak the kind of truth that would impact anybody's life. Because we are, there are people here that have been Christians for about a thousand years. It'll, you're almost that old. And it and you've been a Christian the entire time, and you understand deep spiritual truths that some of us can't even fathom. And there's some people here who you might not even be sure if you're a Christian. And you might be wondering, well, you're kind of maybe at a more elementary level, or maybe you have different questions, or it's impossible to blanket that with something that I would ever say. So I'm not even going to attempt to say that. What, what I'm going to say this morning is just something that I feel like the Lord said I should share. And so I'm going to pray and ask that the Holy Spirit takes those words and somehow He speaks to you and that way you get something out of it that He wants you to learn. So I'm going to ask Him to do that. If you agree with that prayer, at the end of it, you can say amen. Okay? That'll just tell everybody that you're in agreement with that prayer, specifically the Lord. All right? Lord, I just again intentionally invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and stir amongst us this morning, right here, right now. And I ask, Lord, that through uh, the words that I will say, and because they're human words, they're kind of like foolishness, but I ask that you would take that and stir in each person's heart that we would hear directly from you, Lord. And all of God's people who agreed said, Amen. So I also want to pick your brains a little bit this morning. And I want to know, when I was in Sunday school, I went to Sunday school in this church, and when I was in Sunday school, we were taught some very Sunday school type stories and lessons and things. I'm going to show you a picture, actually I picked three pictures, a little different artist I guess, and uh, it would be similar to pictures that I would have seen in Sunday school. So I will show you the picture, and then I'm going to pick your brain, and I want you to tell me what the story is about. Okay, so go to that next slide. Here are the three pictures. They're all of the same story. They're just different artists trying to communicate the same thing. What's the story? Ten, who said Ten Commandments? I heard somebody, yeah, Ten Commandments. Do you guys see pictures of something like this in Sunday school or at home or somewhere? Somebody under, under 12. Like, have you ever seen pictures like this? Or is this just like a person born in the 70s thing? Someone said no. You said no? You've never seen pictures like this in Sunday school? What are we teaching our kids in Sunday school? (laughs) How did you know what the story was then? I'm sniffing a bit of a false truth there. I think we understand. So what's the story? Moses and the Ten Commandments and, and what... Throw, throw out some details. What's happening in the story? 
He's bringing the Ten Commandments down from the mountain, and then say again. He's guiding the Israelites out of Egypt. What were you saying? Yeah, he's throwing the tablet down. Why is he throwing the tablet down? Yeah, they made an idol of gold. He came down, and they, all these people have made an idol in the shape of a golden calf, and now they're worshiping it and calling it Yahweh, which is horribly blasphemous. And then you remember what Moses made them do with that calf? This is kind of funny, actually. What's that? Yeah, he ground it up, mixed it with water, and made them drink it. I like him. And so, what else do we know about the story? What's the same in all three pictures? He's holding a stone tablet. That's the same in all three. He's got a sweet beard. Yeah. I like Moses. He's good. What else is the same? He's on Mount Sinai. That's actually the whole premise of the sermon this morning. The, I'm going to share with you the whole sermon, actually, is on... Some of us are following along in the daily Bible reading, and if you're on the same plan as, as, uh, as kind of where the church plan we offered is going, you've been reading through Exodus, and they've been, they went out into the desert. Moses is leading the Israelites, goes up in the mountain... Hears from God, comes down, really angry, breaks the tablets, golden calf, all that. Goes back up, hears from God again. There's Moses goes up the mountain to hear from God. So as, we're, as I'm doing my devotions and reading scripture on Monday, something very interesting happened to me, and I would just call it uh, like God gave me a rhema word. And if you haven't heard that terminology before, don't worry about it. It was just, I was reading kind of an obscure verse and my brain, honestly, I was in Exodus 27, and my brain was kind of going, and I was not even really paying attention to what I was reading, because it just sounds, yeah, I know the story, I know the story, it's the same story, I knew from Sunday school, Moses on the mountain, and Ten Commandments, yeah, 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 I get it. And suddenly, God stopped, it's, I would describe it like all of a sudden, I'll explain what I read, and then, okay, we'll go through this one piece at a time, I'll just kind of tell you where this is coming from, and it leads to an important truth. We'll get there, okay? Follow along. I'm reading Exodus 27, verse 8. And I read this powerful verse that says, Make the altar hollow out of boards. Amazing truth, right? It is to be made just as you are shown on the mountain. And I'm like... I was doing my devotions, and usually I would, just like you guys look right now, a little dumbfounded and not really getting it. That's how I was reading through my Bible. And it's like the Lord asked me a question, because right as I read that verse, and this is in a couple chapters, but right as I got to that verse, a distinct thought in the form of a question came to my mind after I had asked the Holy Spirit to speak to me, and he just said, where was Moses? And when God asks a question, is he looking for information? Was he not sure where Moses was? <laughs> no, he is actually trying to communicate something to me. And so I said, on the mountain. And as I said that, I was started now wondering why would God ask me that question? Because he's trying to tell me something. And in a moment, I realized a truth that he was telling to me that is going to take me now about a half an hour to try and build this thing up, which I realized all like in an instant. 
That's what sometimes what happens when God speaks to us. But this is, so he's asking, where was Moses? And I realized Moses was on the mountain. And I started thinking, now I'm thinking about mountains. Why is it significant that Moses was on a mountain? What's that all about? Because, what's that? He's closer to God? Yeah, I guess a little bit. But how, like, God couldn't speak to somebody on the flat ground? We live in the prairies. Come on, man, we're doomed. <laughs> we're doomed if that's how it works. Although we'd be better off than the people at sea level, I guess, but whatever. <laughs> Horrible teaching that's coming out of here, man. And so God wasn't saying, Delan, you should go somewhere where there's a mountain or climb to the top of your house or whatever and get closer to me because he's already in my heart. He was spurring me on to something. He was, it's like he was saying, Delan, you should do what Moses did. Moses got alone with me on the mountain. It's not like the mountain doesn't have really anything to do with it. But he got alone with me in a place and when he intentionally went out of what he, where his normal circle was, and he went over here alone with me, then I spoke to him. And Delan, you should do the same thing. That's like what the Lord was saying, okay? That's like a fast version. We'll break that down a little bit. It made me start thinking, is this whole thing about a mountaintop? Being on a mountain, is that symbolic? Is there other stories in Scripture with mountains? And I started thinking about this, and this is actually just interesting. Where was... Abraham, when he sacrificed Isaac, or was about to sacrifice Isaac. Yeah, he's on Mount uh, Mountain, Mount Moriah, somewhere in the vicinity of Moriah. Okay. It's also interesting for me to note that did you know that Moses, who spoke to God with God like a friend, they had a very close relationship, died on a mountain. So did Aaron. They both died on top of a mountain. But that was interesting. It's like they died in the presence of the Lord, which is what I would love to do if I, when I pass away, if I could pass away in the presence of the Lord, that would be amazing. Where was Elijah when he had this little sacrifice off with all the, the false prophets of Baal? Where was he? He's on Mount Carmel. He was on a mountain. Interesting. Like the Lord was there. Where was Elijah when he has this experience you remember the, how the Lord wasn't in the earthquake and wasn't in the fire, wasn't in the wind, but he was in the small whisper? Where was Elijah when that happened? He's also on a mountain, specifically the mountain of God, as it was called, Mount Horeb. What about Jesus in the New Testament? Remember this story where Moses all of a sudden appears and Elijah appears and Peter freaks out. Peter wants to build everybody a tent. And there's just like this amazing supernatural experience. Where did that happen? On a mountaintop. Yeah. We call it the Mount, Mount of Transfiguration or whatever. But it actually happened on Mount Hermon or Mount Tabor, close by Galilee. Interesting thing to note, in case you all of a sudden want to go, man, I should go climb up one of those mountains. Good luck. Because all the mountains that we just listed are different mountains. They're not the same one. They're all different. And Moses, when he goes to get... When this verse here, when he got this understanding, God spoke to him, not just the Ten Commandments, but all the commandments, those are like 613, when he understands those and God shows him those things, and who knows what else God all told him, he was on a mountain in Sinai. That's not even in Israel. That's out in the desert, wilderness. 
And it's not the, even the first time that God spoke to him on that mountain. It's amazing. Mountains, it's safe to say that mountains are symbolic in Scripture of experiencing the presence of God. I actually think if you looked, if you did a study on this and you started looking at all different Psalms and some of the prophets in the Old Testament and all this kind of stuff, they're actually even symbolic of, of more things. And so this is not the only thing that they're symbolic of. But very, very clearly, they are symbolic of being in God's presence. Okay? Are you with me? No? Okay. So then I want to read, understanding that, that there is some symbolism there. And so when God says to land, you should get with me on the mountain so we could have a time alone together and I could speak to you. I think there's some truth to that. Understanding that truth, I want to read Exodus 24 when God calls Moses to the mountain because it becomes very real and interesting. The Lord said to Moses, you guys can say the yellow if you want. The Lord said to Moses, come, yeah, come up to me on the mountain. That's already a loaded statement. Now do you understand? You going to start understanding this scripture different already? Because normally we read three chapters and we just sing, yeah, Moses went on the mountain, blah, blah, blah. And then here's the cool part about the Ten Commandments or something, right? And it is cool, but we forget God called him and said, come up to where? To me. Come into my presence on the mountain and stay here. And I'll give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandments I've written for their instruction. Then Moses set out with Joshua, his aide, and what did Moses do? Moses went up the mountain of God. So he obeyed. And then in verse 15 it says, when Moses went up the mountain, the cloud covered it. And, here, and then it describes what the cloud actually was. The cloud was the glory of the Lord. It settled on Mount Sinai. For six days the cloud covered the mountain. And on the seventh day the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. There's this period of time, that's a pretty long period of time, six days. Moses is just basking in the Lord's presence and in the Lord's glory. That's it. And then on the seventh day, he actually hears the Lord speak. There's symbolism there. Moses came way out of his ordinary place, spends time with the Lord, just soaking, if you will call it that, and then he hears God speak. And when he hears God speak, he immediately ran home. No. What did he do? He stayed on the mountain. If we keep reading to the Israelites, the glory of God looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. But Moses was in it. Then Moses entered the cloud as he went up on the mountain. And he stayed on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. This is commit That's a committed time of prayer. Right there, right? But this isn't the first time that God has spoke to Moses on this mountain. If you look, this is in Exodus 24. If you look back in Exodus 3, the whole burning bush story, which you guys all, also should know from Sunday school. Yeah, that's good. We're teaching good things. That's the same mountain. God had already spoke to Moses on that mountain and said, in fact, when you go back to Egypt and you do all the plagues and all this kind of stuff with Pharaoh and He's finally going to let you go and all this kind of stuff is going to happen. The sign that I'm with you is that you're going to come back to worship me. Where? On this mountain. 
It's fascinating. So then I want to go back to what I read on Monday. Exodus 27, verse 8. Make the altar hall, the water boards, whatever, it's an instruction you got from the Lord. It is to be made as you were shown where? On the mountain. I'm going to ask you again, where was Moses? Like there's half of you who know where Moses is. Where was Moses? On the mountain. That's right. So this is what happens. If you think that God speaks to you out of a seemingly bit of an obscure or a bit of a random verse, and you're like, I wonder if this is a bit of a stretch now to get such direction out of that verse. What is a good way, and those people who have taken the Hearing God series, we've had it in church a couple times in fall, we're going to have it again this fall. How do you, what's a good practice to do if you want to confirm whether or not that was God speaking? Go back to Scripture. It's exactly right. So we'll just, does Scripture line up with what this thought that's going through my head says? And there is actually a whole bunch of Scripture, which I'm not going to read today. Kevin actually read some of it just like five minutes ago here. But there's a whole bunch of Scripture that I'm going to leave out. If you doubt me, we can go there. I'm just going to read a passage out of Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12 describes two mountains. I want you to think about that. Hebrews 12 is written in which testament? The new one. This is the one we live in. Okay? Hebrews 12 says this. You have not... I capitalized it. It's not capitalized in your Bible, but I want you to understand. He says, you have not come to a mountain that. Okay? The writer of Hebrews is saying... What's he implying by saying, you haven't come to a mountain like this one? What's he implying? You're at a mountain. Exactly. You're at a mountain. But he's first going to say, it's not like this one. Okay? So here we go. This is the one that it's not like. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched. So it's not physical. And it's burning with fire. To darkness, to gloom, and to storm. What, what, what story does that sound like? It sounds like Moses and the Ten Commandments. You have not come to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them, which is directly what happened in Exodus, if you read your Bible, because they could not bear what was commanded. Even if an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. And he's quoting directly out of Exodus. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. He's talking about the Ten Commandments story. That's what he's talking about. It's very obvious and very clear. But I want to paint that picture a little bit more graphic in your head, what was actually happening on that particular mountain which we have not come to. On that mountain, if you look at this passage in the New Testament and compare it also to what it lines up with Exodus, there was a cloud on the mountain. The Israelites are gathered over here, but they weren't allowed to touch the mountain. And it almost sounds in parts of the story like it might have been a bit like a volcano. But that's not even close to what's happening. It was far more supernatural than that. The mountain was shaking violently. That's what it says. The mountain was shaking violently. There's, there's thunder and lightning. That's not a volcano. And a dark cloud. And then it says the trumpet of the Lord, the trumpet call of God, blasting. 
Blasting men. Have you guys ever experienced loud noise? I'm not sure if I'm the only person like this, but when I'm in very loud space or noise, it's hard to think. For an example, uh, the barn we used to have had a generator, a big diesel engine that would power the farm. It had it in the same building, small room that where we showered and had our office. And if that generator would start running at full throttle, it's the only throttle it had, if it starts running at full throttle while I'm in there, it felt to me like I couldn't even think. Like I would have a hard time. It was very intimidating then to go close to the engine. If it was completely quiet, I would have no problem. I'd be nice and calm, and I could investigate the engine, or I could do, do different, different things. But when it is roaring, I feel like I have to put on some ear, earplugs or something to think or just get out of the area. Are you guys like that too? Something about noise in our brains makes it tough. These guys were hear, hearing a trumpet blast call or whatever from the Lord. I don't even know what that is exactly. But there's this noise that can be described as a trumpet blast during the smoke on top of the mountain. The mountain is shaking violently. There's lightning. There's thunder. And then you know what it says? It actually got louder. The, this trumpet blast got louder. If you read this and you read in Exodus, the trumpet blast, blast gets even louder. And this is the experience that the Israelites are happening or having at that mountain, which Moses was on. I would describe that as just simply terrifyingly awesome. Kind of one of these experiences which is very scary, but it would be even scarier if you ran away, so you stay there. You guys with me? That's the experience they were having. The writer of Hebrews is saying, you did not come to a mountain like that. Now he's going to tell you and me the kind of mountain we have come to. Okay, let's keep reading. But you have come to Mount Zion. Okay, now he's going to explain what the concept he means with Zion. This Mount Zion. To the city. What's it, what is You can read the yellow. To the So he's talking about the city of the living God, the place where God dwells, lives, resides. That's where God is. He's talking exactly about the presence of God. He says the heavenly Jerusalem. But actually we already know even before we start reading the rest. God lives in heaven. He dwells there. But he's actually not talking about heaven here because he says, we've already come. Are you guys in heaven? No, I'm not in heaven. But we've come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in what? Joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn. In other words, the church of Jesus. Hebrews 1.6 calls Jesus God's firstborn. To the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven, you have come to God. In other words, you're in His presence. The judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and the sprink, uh, to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. He's essentially describing that we have come to the presence of of God. That's what we can experience in the new covenant. And he's 
the writer of Hebrews is comparing. He's saying, what happened in Exodus in the Old Testament was like a lesser example of this greater thing that we're experiencing today. Does it make sense? He's saying, you thought that was cool, that was awesome. It pales in comparison to what we can experience today. That's what he's saying. And I want you to understand, it's not, he's not specifically talking about heaven as a destination. He is talking actually about the presence of God because he says we've already come. And we can experience God's presence. Are we going to experience God's presence in heaven? Yeah, God's presence is going to be there too, and so that does describe heaven. But he says, you've, you've already come. 1 Corinthians 13 talks a little bit like that too. It says, we now know in part, then we're going to know fully. We can experience God's presence now in part, then we're going to experience it fully. This is the kind of concept he's talking about here. And listen to what he says. Actually, it was the same for Moses. Do you know that? When Moses was on top of the mountain, was he in heaven? Guys, when Moses was on top of the mountain, was he in heaven? No. If heaven was there, I'm going to go find Mount Sinai. I'm going to climb, out, climb up it, right? It wasn't, he wasn't in heaven, but he was experiencing the presence of God. But he wasn't in heaven yet. He, there was an aspect and an understanding and a visual sight and all these things that he could not even experience of God that he will experience in heaven. It's the same for us. We can experience God's presence today if we don't refuse it, but it is not what we're going to experience in heaven, but it's the same presence of God. Listen to what he says in verse 25. See to it then, or see to it, that you do not refuse him who speaks. He is, it is God who speaks. It's clear here. If they did not escape, they being the Israelites, Moses and the Israelites, if they didn't escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? This mountain experience, the writer of Hebrews is saying we shouldn't refuse the presence of God. This mountain experience, you could oversimplify it. You could kind of dumb it down and make it simple and say we should get into the presence of God. How do you do that? What's an obvious way to do that? Prayer. So you could really oversimplify what Hebrews is, the writer of Hebrews is saying and say, we should pray. I think the argument is pretty clear that you should do it with a listening ear. That's the kind of attitude. We've talked about this before. That's an attitude. You should have the attitude of somebody who has their ear inclined to what God is saying to you. But you can oversimplify that all and just say, we should pray. That's easy to understand, right? I want to show you another connection that I think brings these two together. This whole thing about being on a, on a mountain and whether that applies to us today in the New, Test, New Testament, the New Covenant era. Okay? In, in Isaiah 56, 4-7, it says this, For this is what the Lord says. And then if you read in your Bible the rest of 4, 5, and 6, it describes um, 
Jesus' followers. And it's interesting to me that it specifically calls out even foreigners who are going to follow Jesus. And that includes all of us, okay? As though it represented everybody who wants to follow the Lord. This is what that verse in Isaiah, the Old Testament, says. These I will bring to my holy mountain. Who is he going to bring to his holy mountain? His followers. Okay? He's going to bring them where? To his holy mountain. And give them what? Joy in his house of is this concept lining up to what we just read in Hebrews? It is. It says we came to the city of God, where God's presence dwells. And the angels are there in joyful assembly. Here, Jesus, or, <laughs> sorry, jumping ahead. <laughs> Isaiah is saying that the Lord says, These I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, which is a cool statement because... Isaiah 64 verse 6 says, Our righteous acts are like filthy rags. And here, the Lord is saying He's actually going to accept our stuff. He's going to accept our offerings. And He says, For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Which famous New Testament story did that verse get quoted? Jesus quoted it. In the temple? And what, was, what was Jesus doing in that temple? <laughs> That's right getting the auction mart out of the church. That's what he was doing. He came in and he's flipping over tables. You guys know the story. And he says, you guys, you guys are turning my house into a den of robbers. Right? Let's read the story. I lost my notes here. Matthew 21. Jesus entered the temple. This is now the New Testament, right? Jesus entered the temple courts. He drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. He said, it is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a den of robbers. He's quoting Isaiah 56 verse 7, and I think this is fascinating because Isaiah 56 verse 7 talks about this holy mountain, this place of joy, God's presence, and Jesus brings it right into the New Testament, and he says his church is going to be called a house of prayer. And it lines up with this concept that we can come to God's church, the temple, His house, to pray and experience His presence. It is God's plan and the hope of Jesus that His house will be called a house of what? almost feel like I need to cough, and I don't want to do that in the microphone. Oh, I turn that off for a sec, Wes. Much better, thanks. It's God's plan, the plan and hope of Jesus, that his house will be called a house of what? Prayer. In whose house are we right now? In whose house are we right now? This is God's house. Here's just really simply how this works, and I feel like I could, there's so much scripture and so much evidence for this, I'm just going to consolidate a whole bunch of that, and if you don't agree, just come and let's have a conversation. We ought to pray as individuals. 
we ought to get into Jesus' presence intentionally and pray. I know that you can pray while you're driving your car. I know that you can pray while you work. Those are great things. Keep on doing that. The New Testament says pray continually. You would have to be working and doing those things to be able to pray continually. So that's good. We also ought to get onto a mountain and spend time with the Lord there. And that will mean coming away from work, coming out of the car, sitting somewhere where it's quiet, just you and Jesus, and praying. In order to do that, you'd have to be quiet. You'd have to be intentional and listen. And then there's an additional thing. If the only prayer that you ever do is alone, you're missing out. Jesus said his house would be called a house of prayer for what? Individuals? For who did he say it was going to be called a house of prayer? Specifically, a house of prayer for all of, he even said nations, right? All of his followers. He's talking about his house of prayer. We ought to be praying in, additional, in addition to praying alone, quietly, and in addition to praying alone when you're busy, in addition to that, we ought to be praying with our Christian brothers and sisters. Jesus said, this has been quoted here in church a couple times already, where two or three are gathered, there, what? There I am. There I am with them. Depending on what translation you use, but that's what he says. Where two or three are gathered, I'm there. There is a power to praying together as a body. So I want to I clue you into a secret. We have a strategy. We have several strategies here at Pansy Chapel. One of them is a strategy regarding prayer. And so we host for, for almost four years. In May, it's going to be four years that we've been hosting a prayer evening. Once a month, the second Sunday of the month, at 7 o'clock till about 8.30, we meet, we call them prayer evenings. Okay, kind of gives you a clue to what's happening there. And it's a way for us to go to the mountain and intentionally get out of the Israelite camp, come over to the mountain, and just spend time in God's presence. That's essentially what we're doing. With that in mind, I'm going to be so bold as to read Exodus 24, but I'm just going to slip prayer evening for mountain. Okay? Listen to this. And I'm, I took six verses, and I'm crunching them down so they fit on the screen all at the same time. Okay? And you don't have to say anything because it's blue, not yellow. Okay? The Lord said to Moses, or he could be saying to us, come up to me at the prayer evening on the mountain and stay here. And Moses went. When Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days the cloud covered the mountain, and on the seventh day the Lord called to Moses, and he stayed on the mountain. Just to work, like our prayer evenings aren't 40 days, okay? They're not even six days. But the concept is actually the same. Sometimes I even wonder, maybe we didn't stay long enough to actually experience him calling. But if the worst case scenario is that we get together at a prayer evening and just settle in the glory and the glory of the Lord, come on. That's not a bad place to be. Amen? 
So I want to be really transparent here, okay? Our next prayer evening is not tonight. This isn't some kind of an emotional hype trick. Our next prayer evening is in two weeks. You have a long time to forget about this if this is just the landmarkment. That's why, I, that's why I prayed a very intentional prayer at the beginning of this sermon. Next prayer evening is March 10th. It's in two weeks at 7 o'clock here at church. And I, and I also understand that there are legitimate reasons to not come. I get that. And that's okay. We're not legalistic about that or anything. And I know there's already lots of people who are coming and they come faithfully, and that's fantastic. I just want to invite everybody. And so here's what I want to say. If sometime between now and two weeks, that Sunday evening, the Lord just whispers a little thought in your ear, hey, why don't you come meet me on the mountain? Maybe consider meeting in there. <laughs> Man, I'm trying really hard to be gentle. Are you guys picking up on that? Whew. Here's something else I want to say. It feels to me like it's been presented clearly from Scripture that something, a strategy like a prayer evening is a scriptural idea. But Pansy Chapel hasn't always had prayer evenings. We also do things like a set-free evening where people are confessing sin. Okay, we haven't always done that either. From time to time in the church, it feels to me like there is a sentiment that says, okay, Delan, but that's not how Pansy Chapel used to do it. And people who have only attended here for four years or less, they will think maybe Pansy Chapel has always had prayer evenings. I don't know. Those people who have attended for longer than that know that we haven't always. Delano wasn't even always the pastor here. Like 50 years ago, Delano wasn't around. <laughs> right? And we, start, we might think some of these new strategies and this what feels to us like new things feels a bit scary. And we might catch ourselves saying, I don't want to come because it's new. Pansy Chapel never used to do that. Pastor Leonard Barkman didn't do it. In response to that possible sentiment, I would like to quote a man who had something to say. He knows a little bit about leadership. And I want to quote something he says, okay? This is not a Bible quote. This is a quote of a man whom I respect. And he says this, You can't lead well unless you're continually studying and learning. That's going to take some teachability and humility, okay? And I would agree with that statement. And then he also says a pretty powerful statement. And he says, a leader in a church has to change with the change of the group. If I, I'm quoting him directly, and, and when he wrote this or said it, he was a pastor, Okay? He has been a pastor virtually his entire life until just a couple years ago. A leader in a church has to change with the change of the group. If I will not be willing to make some changes as the church, you guys throw in the yellow, grows. And as new people come in, and as we progress and bring ideas that fit better today than 20 years ago, and we will need to make some. If I as a leader cannot change in these approaches, 
strategies, then we need to get out of the way. Do you guys know who I'm quoting? Say again? It's my dad. He preached this in approximately 1991. I was like 16 years old. Here's a picture of my dad. He said, this is about the right era that he would have preached that. Exactly. He would have been standing over there by that. Uh, this isn't the picture during that sermon or whatever, but it's the same era. Those words come from my dad. He didn't say what would have happened 20 years ago. Actually, when he preached it, he said, if we're not willing to do in the 90s what we did in the 70s, blah, 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 strategies, approaches, we better get out of the way. That's actually what he said. I thought it might be neat to just listen to hear him say it. So we're going to try and listen. I'm going to ask everybody to be quiet. The audio isn't great. So we're just going to listen a little bit. The first couple seconds, it's about a minute long, the audio clip. And the first little bit of it, he's... He's talking about uh, um, some truths to apply into your house and your home. And then, he, and then you'll catch, if you listen carefully, he's, he's actually talking about leadership. Okay? It's good for us to cry with those who cry. It's good for us to cry with those who cry. At the same time, let's laugh when laughing is proper and enjoy ourselves and enjoy the good things of life. And, and a, and a good humor can sometimes really ease the eyes off the lake, you know, in the home. You know, everything is so frozen and you're wondering, uh, what's the temperature of this house anyway? You know, I mean, because of the attitudes that are around. Well, a good sense of humor can help us. Let's have a happy uh, meeting there, even as leaders. You can't lead well unless you're continually studying and learning. A leader in any organization or a leader in a home or a leader in a church has to change with the change of the group. And if I will not be willing to, to have some change as this church grows and as new people come in and as we progress and bring in ideas that fit better into the 90s and they fit into the 70s and, and we'll need to make some changes. If I as a leader cannot change with you, cannot learn to change with you in these approaches, strategies that we plan, then we need to get out of the way. love it if my dad could come and pray with us in two weeks. We'll leave that up to the Lord. But to say that I'm quite sure would be an understatement, but I'm quite sure that he'd be very excited about what happens there. Intentionally, people in this church, even in the sanctuary, which I don't even know if he knows exists, I'm not sure if he remembers, He'd be pretty pumped about that. It's actually, it's, it's a new strategy. It's a really old idea. So old that even Moses had to go up into a mountain to pray. Join with me in prayer. Lord, I thank you so much that we have an opportunity. That you are so gracious to us that you call us. Who are we that you would speak to us? Except that we are people that you have created on purpose and you love us. Lord, help us to be responsive to that call. Amen.
I'm going to throw out a little challenge. Here's, here's a challenge. Take this truth that is shared here this morning and go home and get on the mountain alone with the Lord and ask Him if it was true. Just you and the Lord. Ask Him if it's true. And if it is not, you owe it to me to come and tell me. And if it is true, typically what would happen is that the Lord would give you an action step. 